How y'all doing? Welcome back to the Cold Seat Podcast, where the seats are cold, but the takes are hot. Episode 44 here, uh, recording it Thursday evening, coming out Friday morning. Um, you know, it's a normal episode coming at y'all today. We got NBA standings update, um, a golf update as the golf season's kind of getting pretty exciting here. MLB season preview, March Madness, uh, you know, recap and outlook on the Final Four in the National Championship this weekend. Then some stuff going down in the NFL as well. Uh, of course, going to round it out with the ice bath. But first, start off the episode, we're going to get into our hot takes. Turn up the heat here a little bit. Um, I'll start it off. Uh, kind of had a little bit of trouble figuring out one for this week. Um, but I'm going to go with that everything mint flavored is incredible. Mainly desserts. I mean, like desserts and snacks, stuff like that. Mint ice cream is really good. Um, you know, peppermint as well. I think that kind of falls into the same category. Um, yeah, I know mint's not, you know, a widely liked flavor, um, in a lot of different foods. I really like peppermint popcorn. Um, so pretty much everything mint I've had has been really good. I don't think I've tried anything with the mint flavor that hasn't been good. Peppermint popcorn. I may have to give that a go. Uh, not, listen, peppermint popcorn in like the springtime, this is what, March 30th? comes out March 31st, that's that's a hate crime. That might as well be. I mean, it, it, that, that that is a seasonal deal. That's like, listen, I will allow January as it's still chilly outside. You get into February, got to let it go. Um, definitely December, no question. Um, I'll, I'll give the pass in November as well. Um, just since, you know, we're getting into the hot. Typically for most people, I know you're a big hater of this, but most people start – celebrating the christmas season in november after halloween i know you're a big after thanksgiving guy i can i can i can understand that i think november 1st is a little early for me and like i love christmas i love the holidays you know me i'll, I'll bump christmas music in july that that is also heinous i i and i'm well aware of that self-aware but yeah peppermint uh peppermint popcorn i'll oh, yeah. give that a go november 1st 2023 when it's when it's appropriate i'll have to give that a go um I I just think it's hilarious to like because I because I've obviously I've known this like I know this about you I think it's hilarious because your your girlfriend hates everything mint like hates which I think is yeah. also very funny it's tough <laughs> like I like I I remember I've heard her say like she hates toothpaste so much just because mm-hmm. it's you know what I mean but yep. I think it's hilarious that that's just the the opposites there um my hot take this week oh, by the way I'm with your hot take mint things are great I'm I'm a big fan proponent of mint. Mint chip ice cream, slept on, 100%. Agreed. Um, York peppermint patties, elite movie theater snack. Mm-hmm. If we were doing like a little bustin' with the boys tier talk, that'd be like a tier two or a tier one movie theater snack. Let's take popcorn out of, out of the equation. That's like a god tier. Um, but if we were doing a little tier talk, like bustin' with the boys do, taking something from, out, of, you know, out of their book, uh, York peppermint patties, absolutely a, a tier two minimum uh, oh, at, yeah. the, at the movies. The, usually it's the York minis, like the little mini ones. Um, or no, the, maybe it's the junior mints that most some I saw junior mints. Some have the the mini pep, the mini York pepper patties. Either way, right. elite both. No, nah, ju- junior mints are great. The casing to like the mint ratio isn't quite as good as it is on the patties, just because agreed they're agreed a little bit that. bigger. But York, yeah, yeah. I've, I've thought of this before. I don't know why York doesn't sell peppermint patties like the Oreo style, where you know they peel them back in the case and there's like sheets of Ooh, peppermint yeah, yeah. patties. Yeah, yeah. Like that would yeah. be genius. No, it, it, it'd be pretty expensive. It is smart. 
it may be like a packaging like with the the chocolate i don't i don't know i'm not listen i'm not big on the i'm not i'm not a packaging kind of guy and that's not right. what i'm not what i'm into I'm, I'm i'm just worried about consuming the good rather than like how it's packaged it's not not my, not up my alley but apologies to hear my dog she's um dog dad's life sometimes she's gonna bark um but i'll try and get out my hot take real quick and uh, turn up the heat while i have a a dog who wants to play um every like so this is this is hot because this is like a love like you love it or you hate it type of deal canned tuna elite elite lunch food like i'm talking elite. now listen i'm not like cracking open a can and just like eating as is like it's gotta gotta have a little something with it me prefer a little hellman's or i guess it's best foods now a little light mayo maybe one serving maybe a serving and a half serving and a third whatever you're feeling that day um Personally, lately, I've been doing a little, a little bit of like finely diced red onion in there. Maybe a couple, you know, a couple pickle chips diced up pretty small in there as well. Make a little bit of a tuna salad action, if you will. Um, elite lunch food. Maybe if you want to bust out the pan, get a little fancy, a little tuna melt. Talking about some gourmet stuff right there. But I'm just saying, like, it, t- it tastes like the smell is not great. I'm, I'm not going to lie and say that I think it smells good. But if you can move, if you can move past that. The other senses are phenomenal. If you move past the one sense that's not great of the smell, the taste in the sea is phenomenal as well. I mean, the taste in the sea is great. It looks it looks pretty good. It tastes great. Um, it's also great for you. The macros on it are really are really nice. The cans you get from Sam's are 140 calories for like 30 some grams of protein. The ones from Costco 190 calories, 41 grams of protein. Like no carbs, only, hardly any fat. Big W. But it's a very good food though overall. Like if I'm Having a big lunch one day, crack two cans of tuna, throw it into a bowl, mix it up, maybe I'll make a little tuna melt. Ooh, sriracha is a must in there as well. Got to throw the sriracha in, get a little kick going. I tried this the other day, a little teriyaki sauce in there. Dude, fire. Elite lunch food. I know you're going to I know, I know you're gonna have a, a take on this, and I'll let you get there, but this is an elite lunch food. The only part of that that sounds good is the sriracha. Um, you know, red onion, not a big fan of. Mayo, uh, will never eat. Another criminally underrated food as well is red onion as well. I'll throw that out there, but I'll let you continue. I also do not like um, tuna at all. That's been the one food. I mean, it, it doesn't click for any of the senses for me. Um, I think it looks terrible, feels terrible, um, smells terrible. I mean, it tastes terrible. It's just like... I can't. Oh, so good. I can't get with it just because, like, I've always, my, you know, my, I grew up with my family having it occasionally for lunch, um, and I just never had it. I just always resort to, you know, we, we had some chicken nuggets. I think we had a good bit of variety of chicken nuggets normally because that's normally all I would eat for lunch. Um, you know, I was kind of doing the the three three four meal rotation, maybe four, of a uh, mac and cheese, chicken nuggets. We had some like mini pizzas in there. Uh, yeah, can dog. dog. Texas Tech, Walgate's dorm, the Sam's place in the dining hall, the dining hall Sam's place. The personal pizzas, I, like that's all my death row meal. You see that? You see like, the trends on the internet, whether it's like Instagram or TikTok or whatever. It's like here's my death row meal. I th- throw the person, the Walgate's personal pizza with a side of ranch. I gotta have a side of ranch for the crust. They had really good ranch there. They had elite ranch, but the Walgate's personal pizza elite on campus dining 
elite culinary experience in general, elite experience on campus though as well. For sure, yeah. I, I mean, agree with you. I before I found out that I didn't have unlimited dining bucks, I was getting two pepperoni pizzas a day from there. I was rotating between that, the smoothie, uh, the quesadilla, chicken oh, nuggets, man. all of that. I will say I got to go back there pretty soon. But yeah, sticking to the I topic, Cantuna is bad. I, I went back. I, I don't even know what I was doing. I would like go to like, the student union building for. I go pick something up or like buy a scantron or what. I don't remember what it was. But I was like, you know what? Because I parked right over there in like the little, you know, the free parking. For those that don't know, there's like. It's you can't park at the dorms even with like a parking pass like you get ticketed or whatever. There's a couple like you know park for 30 minutes. So I parked there like walked over to the to the student union building. I was walking back. I was like, man, I'm gonna go get in and get a Walgreens like personal. I'm gonna go get a pizza, like 100%. You know, I'll either eat it in the car like if I have time or if like I just want to get home, I'll eat it when I get home, whatever. So I roll in, brother. No personal pizzas available. I. Like a like I was I was I was gonna cry I felt like I felt like I was gonna like shed tears I was so like, they didn't have anything granted I think it was like around like I think it was like around winter winter break so they were kind of like limiting the options or maybe, oh maybe it was like for Thanksgiving I like went there like before I was leaving I don't know but I went I had to go I don't again I don't know what I was doing but I had to like, go do something before I like left and I remember I was gonna have it before I left I was gonna get it and then eat it at home before I left and then like load up the dog and leave um. But no, they didn't have any. I'm going to have to go back at some point and try it. Ooh, maybe a little draft day snack? Maybe a little draft day lunch option? Possibly. Yeah. Just to celebrate the occasion? Mm-hmm. Might have to do it. Yeah, I mean, most of the dining hall food is actually pretty good. Um, you know, if you're, if you like, you know, I'm pretty picky, so I like, like, basic foods like that. And they did a pretty good job of that. It's just always fresh, always tastes pretty good. Um but as for canned tuna, it doesn't really taste pretty good. Um, I've tried it. Never had, like, an actual serving of it. Um, but it'll probably stay that way. I don't foresee myself, you know, having a meal. Not gonna, Not going to expand those horizons anytime soon? I don't think so. No, I'm not big on expanding my horizons. But Fair enough. I stick to I stick to what I know and what I like. Um, Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But, yeah, I think that'll pretty much yeah. wrap pretty much wrap up the uh hot takes food we, we segment up the heat i guess today. you can say we, we definitely i mean it's basically it's been a food segment the past few weeks in right. fairness like it's a lot of hot takes around the food maybe you know next week i will strive to not have a food hot take next week i will look another direction i'll try yeah i'll try to figure out a better one i normally don't think of one until you know the hour or two before we record yeah. um yeah i mean i'm not pl- i'm not planting on it you know a week out i just it's kind of off the dome the day of gotta do it right more organic Mm -hmm. but uh we'll move on to the nba here we got a standings update this week so the regular season that'll wrap up sunday april 9th so most teams have like five six games left in the regular season um the race for the number one pick is still on obviously multiple teams have the same odds at the top pick but bottom four right now are this or bottom three of the spurs hornets or excuse me spurs pistons and rockets um but in terms of the top teams in each conference, in the East, we have the Atlanta Hawks in eighth. They're 38 and 38, 17 back. Seventh, we have the Miami Heat, 40 and 37, 15 and a half back. Sixth, we have the Brooklyn Nets, 41 and 35, or 14 back. New York Knicks are in fifth, 44, 
and 33, 11 and a half back. The Cleveland Cavaliers are 48 and 29, seven and a half back. Philadelphia 76ers are 50 and 26, five back. Celtics are in second, 52 and 24, three games back of the Milwaukee Bucks, who are 55 and 21, with the best record in the NBA right now by four games or by three games. I guess the Celtics are second best. Yeah, seems like the Bucks are gonna basically have that locked up. Most teams have what you know between. I think it's like seven and five games left. Um, most of them have about six or seven-ish left. Um, so as soon as the Bucks kind of have that locked up, um, kind of the it's it seems like the top three or four in each conference is kind of pretty solidified. Obviously the four in the East, and then we'll get to the West with a more solidified top three. But um, Western Conference here, the Los Angeles Lakers, future 2023 NBA champions, Los Angeles Lakers, sitting at 38 and 38, above 500 for the first time this year. 13 and a half back of the first seed of Denver Nuggets, like it's been all year. Um, but no, Lakers sneaking into eight. Uh, just ahead of them is the Timberwolves at 39 and 38, 13 games back. Got the Golden State Warriors, the defending champs, at 40 and 37 in sixth place, 12 games back. You got the Clippers, a game ahead of them at 41 and 36 in the fifth spot. It's 11 back. And then uh, the Suns. In that fourth spot at 41 and 35, 10 and a half back, kind of round out that group of teams that are, you know, from really it's from five to like 12 that are all pretty close together. Um, you know, and they get to the top three here with the Kings at 46 and 30 at five and a half back, the Grizzlies at 48 and 28, three, three and a half back, and the Nuggets again sitting pretty in the first seed, 51 and 24, the third best record in the NBA. Um, Again, th- th- those three seeds at the top seem all pretty locked in at where they're at, um, being Nuggets, Grizzlies, and Kings. Um, obviously, the rest could – I mean, theoretically, if the Suns lose out, they could miss the play-in. Now, that's not only that's going to happen, um, but, I mean, that's that's a reality that we're living in where it's going to be real close for a lot of these teams going to come in on the stretch as we get to, you know, April 9th, the last day of the NBA season in, um, you know, basically a week from uh, from Sunday. Yeah, for sure. Um the West should be exciting coming down the stretch, especially with the play-in. Top 10 teams, you know, 4 through 10 are all going to be super close. And whoever comes out of the 7 through 10 after the play-in should make for some fun opening round matchups and series, um, you know, with the Suns, Clippers, Warriors, presumably, if they don't change uh, in the standings. But that'll pretty much do it for the NBA ste- segment. Uh, we're going to move on to golf here. Last weekend, we had the World Golf Championships. Dell Technologies match play down in Austin, Texas at the Austin Country Club. And what was honestly an incredible five days, the only five-day event of the tour season. I love the match play format. Most fun to watch on TV, I think. I watched probably most of that that I have of any golf probably since the Masters last year. Um, I watched a good bit every day. I think I watched the entire of Saturday and Friday. But the final four uh, match play kind of bracket format to go with the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight going on at the same time. There were Scotty Scheffler versus Sam Burns. Um, Sam Burns ended up winning that one up after three playoff holes. So after 21 holes between those two, Sam Burns won one more hole than Scotty Scheffler. And then on the other side of the final four was Roy McIlroy versus Cameron Young. And Cameron Young won one up after one playoff hole. So both extremely close 
throughout the whole way. I don't think anyone got more than two or three up. Uh, Cameron Young did win, you know, being that it was 19 holes after the one playoff hole, only one more hole than Rory. Rory and Scotty faced off in the third place matchup while Cam Young and Sam Burns were in the final uh, matchup for the title. And Rory ended up defeating Scotty two and one to take third. Two and one means Rory was two up with one hole to go. So mathematically, Scotty couldn't win. Uh, the final matchup was Sam Burns versus Cameron Young, and Burns was rolling. Uh, he won seven of nine holes starting at the fifth hole. Uh, they tied the first four, I believe, or maybe Cam Young won one of the first four. Um, but after that, it was all Sam Burns. Burns won six and five, uh, taking home three and a half mil for what was his fifth title on the PGA Tour. So really fun weekend all around. Bummer that this is the last time that's going to be held in Austin at the Austin Country Club. Um, you know, the World Golf Championships presumably is going to move somewhere else um, to a different course that will still be sponsored by the WGC. Uh, but, yeah, really fun weekend overall. Uh, a lot of high-caliber talent in the field, I think. And the Wednesday and Thursday, Rory shot 62-64. Uh, so really impressive stuff from him. Um, but, yeah, that was pretty much it for the past weekend. Just a really fun five days to watch because a lot of guys, what was their final tune-up before the Masters? Yeah, no, I mean, again, not, like you said, not a lot of guys, um, you know, going to be in the Valero Open this weekend. Valero, Texas Open, I should say, this weekend. Um, just with the Masters coming up after playing, you know, five days of golf. Not everybody played five days, obviously, but, um, you know, the match plays, it. you know, usually an event that a lot of guys go play at. Um, like you said, use it as a tune-up for the Masters and then, um, you know, get to Augusta, Georgia and, um, you know, try to put their, put their best four rounds together. Um, so obviously, when the Masters should be great. Um, we'll give a little more of an in-depth Masters kind of preview next week. Um, we have a little more time, too. Obviously, a pretty packed episode today with uh, taking up a lot of time with the MLB, um, kind of kicking off today uh, with, obviously, opening day today and all that stuff. But definitely look for a Masters, um, you know, a Masters preview next week. Um, obviously, Roy is playing really good golf right now. Scotty as well. Um, two top guys in the world looking to looking to uh, kind of go back to Augusta and, and and two guys who played well there last year. Obviously, Scotty won the event, um, you know, last year in Augusta. So should, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It should be an awesome four days of golf in a couple of weeks. And um, you know, it's the I mean, it's the biggest golf event of the year. Um, and uh, we're looking forward to it. And it, you know, even for even for casual fans, um, it's still really cool to watch, especially on Sunday. Um, you can just kind of feel the the atmosphere, um, even from the TV and watching it on TV and watching it or streaming it, whatever. You can kind of just feel. Um, it's just a more intense atmosphere, uh, especially on, on day four. So we're looking forward to that. Um, and yeah, I'll let you uh, kind of give a little bit of a preview for it right now. Yeah, so like you said, uh, Valero Texas Open, that's actually going on right now. Uh, round one currently underway. I think a few guys are finishing up the uh, their round. Best score we have so far is a four under 68 as the TBC San Antonio Oaks course is a par 72 course. J.J. Spawn won that event last year. Um, I don't believe he's participating in it this year, so there should be a new champion. Like I said, next weekend, the biggest golf event of the year, the Masters uh, in Augusta, Georgia, is played at Augusta National Golf Club in Augusta. Um, the purse $15 million, so a little bit smaller than some other events we've had this year with the increase in payouts. It will include some live golfers. Uh, this is a major, which means it is not a PGA Tour event. 
which means live golfers are not banned from participating. So there should be some interesting pairings, some groupings um, between live and PGA tour guys should make for a really exciting weekend on that front, let alone um, first major of the season. Scotty won it last year as the world golf official world golf rankings, number one golfer. Um, but all around a really fun week, you know, obviously on Wednesday before the you know, actual tournament begins on Thursday. There's a par three competition at the iconic par three course there at the Augusta National Golf Club where, you know, most players take part. Um, normally their wives and their kids are with them, either caddying or just walking it with them as they're playing. Super fun environment there for the kids and stuff like that. Um, it's all around a really fun week to take part in, you know, just to watch all around. Should be a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, pretty much wraps up golf. Moving on here for a little bit, we're going to be talking about the MLB. Opening day was today. Not all the games have concluded, but some have. Um, so we're just going to basically give our season preview. We're going to have divisional uh, winners. We're going to give our wild card picks, World Series predictions, AL awards, and NL awards. Um, I'll start it off. So my divisional picks. In the AL East, I'm picking the New York Yankees. In the AL Central, I'm going to pick the Cleveland Guardians. And in the AL West, I'm going to pick the Houston Astros. And then for the NL, I'm going to pick the Atlanta Braves for the NL East, St. Louis Cardinals for the NL Central, and Los Angeles Dodgers for the NL West. Um, you know, all four of those, or all six of those teams, I don't think it would be a surprise if they won the division. I think most of them are probably favored to. Um, well, you know, obviously, these are just preseason predictions, so a lot can change. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on on uh, five or six of these. I got the Yankees in the AL East, the Guardians in the AL Central, Astros in the AL West. The one place we're gonna differ here is with the Phillies. I got them in the NL East. I got the Cardinals in the NL Central, and the Dodgers in the NL West. Um, you know, I think each of us. I think the Dodgers may be the only team on this list that are really not favored in the division right now. Obviously, a lot of people pissing the Padres after their big offseason. Um, you know, understandably. Um, but you know, kind of my thought process is. Um, you know, the last three full seasons, the Dodgers have won 106 games or more. Um, and the COVID season, they're on pace to win like 117. Then um, I think, um, you know, John Boy said it best, or he's not, his name's not John, his name's Jimmy, but he's like the main guy over at John Boy Media. He said, the Dodgers are going to win a lot of games. We, we don't know how yet, but but they're going to win games. Like someone's going to, whether it's Noah Syndergaard, whether it's one of their young pitchers, you know, whether it be Ryan Pepio or Gavin Stone gets to the majors in June or Bobby Miller or whoever, there's going to be some some pitcher that has has a ridiculous year, has a career year, like it's kind of happened the past, like Hingen Ryu did it in 19. In, you know, last year it was Tyler Anderson, or in 21 it was kind of the whole staff. Khalil Arias came into his own as a starter that year, and then last year it was Tyler Anderson. Um, you know, Andrew Haney had a great year last year as well, so it, it – there's going to be contributors that we don't know yet. They're going to have really good years. Um, you know, a little bit of a youth movement kind of being talked about, obviously, there right now with Miguel Vargas being, you know, an everyday player for them now. Um, James Outman getting the start in center field tonight for them after losing Cody Bellinger. So, you know, obviously they lose, they lost Gavin Lux a few weeks back. We talked about a little bit um, about a month or so ago with the torn ACL. But they, they, they've still got Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Will Smith, Max Muncy, J.D. Martinez. Like, they're – they're going to win. We don't know how yet, but they're going to win a lot of games. And I, the consistency of the Dodgers, the consistency of the pitching staff um, just feels like to me, it's going to be, unless someone can prove that they can beat them, 
over, you know, and the only, really the only, the one time it happened in the last, what, what decade was when the Giants had the flukiest 107 win season we've ever seen. Cause the, literally a year later, they were one of the worst teams in baseball last year. Um, and it's just the, they had like, uh, they, I think they set like, they like blew out of the water the record for pinch hit homers in 2021. Um, so just, you know, um, I'm not going to pick against the Dodgers to win the division until I'm proven otherwise at first a legitimate period of time. Someone's going to be better than them over a course of 162 games. So, um, yeah, going with the Dodgers there, obviously, I'll kind of provide a little bit of context to Yankees, Guardians, Astros, Phillies, and Cardinals. Um, Yankees, I feel like they got better this year. They got better in the offseason. Um, added Rodon, the pitching should be good if they're healthy. Um, Guardians, I just think the AL Central is the worst division in baseball. Um, the White Sox are, you know, outside of a couple stars, and I don't, I don't know how long Tim Anderson's there this year. I think he's getting moved. Um, so it's, it's Jose Abreu. And Dylan Cease, and I don't love the supporting cast. The Astros, they're the defending world champs. Um, you know, I don't know if we're going to see the step up from the Mariners we thought we'd get last year. Um, and the Angels are obviously the Angels. Um, the Rangers, it, while they're an intriguing story, I just don't know if they're going to be able to win the division at all. Like the, the Astros have been the best team in that division for, for a decade. So don't think anyone's going to touch them. And then Phillies, um, you know, obviously Bryce starting start on the DL for them this year um, or the injured list, I guess, is what they're calling it in, in Major League Baseball. Um, but I think ultimately like, they've got enough star power, enough depth, enough depth on that team now to win the division over a Braves team that, um, you know, it's going to I think it's going to be tight. Obviously, the Mets are going to be talked about. I don't love the Mets pitching staff being super old in Scherzer, obviously. Um, Verlander already starting out, starting out the year with an injury, and then um, I think the Cardinals again. It's just a bad division. I th- I don't think Corbin Burns is a Brewer by August. I think he's gone, and I think there's just other guys that are just not going to be on the team. Um, you know, later on, I think Colton Wong's another guy who could be moved. So, going to be some teams and lose some guys in that division as well. So, um, given the Cardinals, there is, is is an easy pick to me. Yeah, I was kind of just thinking about it, you know, off the top of my head kind of going through every division thinking of who I could see really, you know, pulling away, taking home the division title, whether that be through experience or through a hot streak. I think the Yankees is a pretty easy pick guardians. I think they have the pitching to do it. Um, you know, that you look at the division as a whole and they don't have a ton of good pitchers outside of, you know, Dylan Cease. Um, can't think of any big time ones off the top of my head. Astros, they have, Loads of experience. Um, yeah, they lose guys every year, but they still play really at a really high level. We saw uh, Jeremy Pena step up last year. I'm sure someone else will step up this year. Um, Atlanta Braves, you know, they won it just a few years ago. And I think I think the Braves will do it. Obviously, it's going to be a tough division with the Mets and the Phillies as well, um, improving this offseason. But I think the Braves are going to do it ultimately. Um Cardinals, like you said, pretty poor division overall. Few teams in that division who have no business even sniffing the playoffs. And then Dodgers, I think it'll come close down the stretch. I either think the Dodgers experience is gonna um help them, you know, close out the division. Obviously it could come down to the final series. Um between them and the Padres. I don't think the Giants, Rockies, or Diamondbacks are gonna contend for much this year the Giants could be good could be hot for a little bit but I don't think ultimately over the course of 162 games that they're going to stay uh, up to pace but our wild card picks um 
of the teams where we think are going to clinch wildcard spots that won't win the division. I have the Toronto Blue Jays and Baltimore Orioles, both from the AL East. I also have the Seattle Mariners from the AL West. So those three teams are my AL. Then, obviously not winning the division I have in the NL, San Diego Padres, New York Mets, and Philadelphia Phillies. I think this is, we're pretty similar on these as well. We have the same teams going to the playoffs, just, you know, one flop in, you know, who's winning the division, who's being a wild card in the NL East. Um, but yeah, I think these are pretty consensus. You might make an argument for another team, like to switch a team with another team, but overall, I think these teams are probably favored to be the wild card teams in their respective leagues. Yeah, I think um, I'll run through them quickly. Um, Mariners, Orioles, Blue Jays, same as you, American League. Um, Padres, Mets, and Braves. Again, we ju- we just flopped with the Braves and the Phillies winning the division or wild card team, but got the same six playoff teams for each um, each each league. Um, you know, I think there's a couple teams you can make. Like I think the Red Sox kind of, you know, if they can get hot, um, there's an argument for them. I suppose. It will definitely the Rays. Um, the whole division can make the playoffs in the American League East. Um, I if I had to pick one that's going to definitely be the odd man out, it's the Red Sox. To me, it is. I just don't know, like you know, from a pitching standpoint, uh, does Chris Sale even pitch this year, brother? I have no idea. Um, does he pitch well? That's a whole other question. So, it, kind of a rebuilding era for them. Um, yeah, I think there's a couple teams. Like I think in the National League, it's a little, it's a a little more cookie cutter, if you will. Like you could see the Cubs, like if Cody Bellinger totally rediscovers himself and becomes 2019 Cody Bellinger again, and they can put together, you know, Nico Horner, and they can put kind of put something together. Dansby Swanson, um, in addition as well this offseason. So those if they, those guys can put something together, and again, Cody Bellinger can kind of you know reignite his career as a hitter. Um, I could see them kind of making a run and and, and kind of taking advantage of the fact that. It's going to be a slugfest between the Dodgers and the Padres in the NL West, and that three-way, three-headed monster. It feels like in the in the National League East, you know, if one of those teams kind of goes by the wayside with an injury or a couple injuries, or they just go through a cold streak, and I could see Chicago maybe being the beneficiary of that and kind of seizing the opportunity. Um, the Brewers, if they can, if the Brewers can figure out the clubhouse, they've got a shot. Frankly, I I don't think, like I said, I don't think Corbin Burns is is a Brewer on August second or first whatever the deadlines usually it's always the lat the first sometime in the first week of august last week of july i don't think he's going to be a brewer frankly I, I think there's no chance um i think colton wong's i like honestly i think that we're going to see a similar deal when max scherzer and trey turner went to the dodgers i'm not saying it's the dodgers the dodgers will be in play i'll, I'll say that now not just me being biased that's like hey it's going to fill two needs for them like, but there's gonna obviously be other teams that are being play, but I think you could see Colton Wong and Corbin Burns dealt um, together to a team for a, a hall of, of prospects getting back. Because again, it's clear Corbin Burns is not going to sign a deal with the Brewers long term. It's that that's evident. So they got to get their return on investment. Um, you know, we won't get too far deep into like guys who are getting traded because there's a couple guys that I think that, that are definitely getting moved this year that we, we can get into later when we have more time. But I'll say this for context of right now, like the Brewers, if they can kind of figure it out and, and, the, and the relationships can be mended from players to front office and management, um, they've got a shot. Again, I just think the National League is so loaded this year. I think it, it, when you look at the National League versus the American League, um, the American League certainly, I think, deeper 
I think there's kind of throughout there's better talent, but I think it's the National League is way more heavy hitters, far more loaded teams than the National League. I mean, you look at the, the you know, like I said, the three-headed monster in, out in the out, out in the East, and you've got um, two two star-studded teams. Obviously, the Padres stars throughout the whole lineup, and obviously the Dodgers still have you know plenty of star firepower and um, they are a very proven ball club. So, um, it, National League to me feels a little like a little bit more of a stronger league right now um but again that could all change i think baseball's still unpredictable like last year we i don't think any of us got a single prediction right on our on our picks for cy young mvp like just in those those we picked we had decent like we had good picks guys who were really really good or guys who've done it last year came close the year before so it's just hard um hard to replicate year over year in baseball um and kind of hard to predict you know, this one of these teams is not, like I'm telling you right now, one of the teams that we have picked is not making the playoffs. Just how it's going to be. That's, that's the real. I don't know who it is, but so, someone in there is going to fold somewhere. Who it is, I don't know, but it's going to happen. That's baseball. Um, we'll get into our World Series picks here. Obviously, set the stage for our playoff teams. We all have the same. It's the same 12. I'll, I'll run through them real quick just so we re- recap before we get to our picks here. Um, we each have. Yank in, in some form or fashion of winning the division or wild card. Yankees, Guardians, Astros, Phillies, Cardinals, Dodgers, Braves, Blue Jays, Mariners, Orioles, Padres, Mets, and yeah, that's it. Um, those are the twelve. I, I was going to read Phillies or, or Braves again, but I didn't I realize I didn't need to. Um, those are the twelve. Um, me, call me a homer. Fine. I didn't I didn't pick the Dodgers on this podcast last year. We see how that turned out. Um, so I'm going to pick the the Dodgers to win the World Series this year. Dodgers over Yankees. Ever, I was talking um, to somebody this morning. I got chirped by both of my professors this morning. They're a husband and wife, so it makes sense. They're big Padres fans. I wore my Mookie Betts jersey, of course, opening day, Dodgers hat. I got chirped, and I said, listen, I love everyone's picking the Padres. Dodgers, the Dodgers now have an actual chance because the team that gets picked preseason never actually wins the World Series. We can all agree on Like last year, the Dodgers got picked by everybody, and they didn't win. Even in 2019, they were like, oh, it's going to be the Dodgers, and they didn't win. So – I'm picking the Dodgers to win the World Series over the Yankees. I think the Yankees' improvements with their pitching staff, like I talked about, getting Rodon's big. If Garrett Cole's healthy, get Aaron Judge back. I think, you know, getting Volpe into the lineup now, another year into his career, into his development, will be big for them. And I can see him overthrowing the Astros, no no question. Um, Obviously, their their pitching staff is not going to be as good as it was was last year, losing, you know, a Cy Young winner and Justin Verlander. So, Give me the Dodgers over the Yankees in a, in a Los Angeles versus New York. Um, according to the MLB offices, picture perfect World Series, put it that way. Yeah, I like it. Two teams that are pretty similar um, in each of their leagues. I'm going a little bit different. I'm going with the Braves over the Astros. Obviously, you know, they both have won it the past few years. So both those teams do have plenty of experience. Um, I just think the Braves. While they probably don't have as good of a team overall, top to bottom, that they did when they won it a few years ago, um, you know, I think they have the guys to, you know, kind of take over and play really well down the stretch. You know, Ronald Acuna, Odyssey, Albies, um, Michael Harris, they have the pitching that was better, a little better now probably than when they won it. Um, and then I'm taking them over the Astros, obviously. The Astros seemingly, you know, get to the – ALCS every year at least and then it seems like whoever they have you know on the field that they're making a run so I think that was just a safe bet to say the Astros um yeah so I'm going Braves over Astros a little repeat of 2021 
Yep. Listen, as long as it's not the Astros, dude. The Astros are the, the, the scummiest franchise in pro sports. It's not even a hot take. I didn't even want to leave with a hot take with that. That's just the truth. And I'm sure we got Astros listeners. Cry about it. Cry me a river. Build a bridge and get over it. That's just my feelings. And that's okay. Um, you know, I think those are very realistic picks. Um, again, the Braves, they just kind of always seem to find a way. They they remind me of like the late 2000s, like 2010s Cardinals. It was like the, they they never really had the most star power. Like obviously they had pool holes and stuff. And like obviously that, like the Astros or the Astros, the Braves have – you know, they've got Roland Lacuni, who's a stud. They've got, you know, Matt Olson. They've got Spencer Strider, Max Freed. But, like, they always just seem to find a way to, like, just – they're never the most star-studded lineup. But they just find a way to win games. They're a gritty team. They're managed really well. Snit's an awesome manager. Um, so that's a good pick. Um, and we can kind of get into our awards here. Um, we're going to go American League first. Kind of always, always do American League first, getting into then, um, you know, National League. But – um. I'll let you take uh, the American League MVP. I'll let you get us started here. Yeah, I'm going Otani. Um, that's an easy pick. He's the most valuable player in the league, no doubt. Yeah, but easily. This doesn't, this doesn't always go to the most valuable. Um, it probably goes to the most impactful stat line. So if he you know, has a poor year pitching or poor year hitting, obviously, even though he might pitch or hit better than someone that wins MVP, the fact that he didn't live up to his value – would cost him this award. Um, but overall, I think there's a lot of guys that could win this. I'm just going with Otani because I think it's the safest pick. And for a preseason prediction, I feel like it was kind of a pick I had to make. Yeah. Um, I would have picked Otani, but I think he's getting traded this year. Um, I, I think the Angels are going to come to a realization in June that they're not in the race. Like, they're gonna, you know, it's going to be late June, early July, probably around the All-Star break, frankly. And they're going to realize, like, we're we're not keeping him. Like, there's just no way. He wants to win, and they're not in a position to even win this year, let alone going forward. I mean, Mike Trout's not getting any younger. Neither, neither is Otani, for that matter. So um, I didn't pick Shoei because I think he's getting traded. And I think, ultimately, um, the teams that are going to do it, again, I couldn't tell you who. I'll tell you the Dodgers will be in, the Giants will be in, the Padres will be in. Um uh, the Cardinals will be in the Mets. Like uh, name any contender, they're going to be in. And I think he gets shipped to a National League team, which is why I didn't pick him. Um, but if I was going to say he's, he's, if I can guarantee he's with the Angels the whole year, I'd probably pick him. But I, it, because I don't, I, I went with Jordan Alvarez, um, who I think is also a great pick. Obviously, I picked him. Um, but I just think if, with the the Astros obviously losing Verlander, they're going to lose a little bit of strength on that team. And I think that, again, when you look at MVP, like Goldie won it last year, and Goldie deserved it in the National League, and so did Judge in the American League. But, like, when you look at, like, their teams relied so heavily upon them, like, that, that's a, a bit, it's, a, it's an important thing. Like, when you look at guys like, um, and I'll use the Dodgers, for example. I, I'll even use Manny Machado, for example, from last year. Too. Like, Manny, like, that team was really, like, team was loaded last year. Even when they got Soto, it was like, well, Manny got some relief. That's why I think it hurt him a little bit in, in, in kind of the MVP voting was like, man, they, they were like the Cardinals relied so heavily. Like if you took Goldie out of that lineup, and did, who knows what they're doing, right? So um, and the same thing we said for Arenado, it's just, again, if with Jordan, I think the Astros are going to have a great year. They're going to be the best team in the American League probably in the regular season. And I think if Jordan puts up crazy numbers, like he's probably going to, um, I think that, 
the the, the amount of which they're going to rely on his production is going to help his his argument for MVP a lot, and I think that's why I'm going to give it to him here. Um, but again, Otani could do it. Judge could repeat. I mean, MVP. This is going to be a guy that we don't like. Jose Ramirez is always a really good bet to be in the finals, right? Because the Guardians rely so heavily upon his production. Um, but I'm going to go with Alvarez this year. He gets his first one of, of probably not not going to be not just one. He's probably going to win multiple in his career. But I think Jordan gets his first this year. Um, getting to the pitching here with the Cy Young. Um, I'm going Shane McClanahan, the guy who I thought would win it for most of the year last year. Kind of had an injury, tapered off towards the end of the season, had a couple of bad outings um, towards lately, you know, later in the year. Um, going to go with Shane McClanahan, though, this year. I think um, a guy, that's a, a star that's really going to shine on a on a Rays team that's not – doesn't look great this year. Don't have him making the playoffs, but I think McClanahan could dominate in a way that, um, again, his – the re- like it's similar to Alcantara last year, the reliance upon him to win games could push him just a little over the edge um, to win that AL Cy Young over a- an awesome league of pitchers, by the way. Garrett Cole was in the mix for me. Obviously, Otani is in the mix for me. Uh, the guy you picked is in the mix for me. Shane Bieber's in the mix. So plenty of guys to pick from in this league. Um, but I think Shane McClanahan can rise to the top here this year. I like it. Yeah. Um, the only reason I probably didn't go with him is just because Dylan Cease is facing a division that isn't nearly as good at hitting as the AL East in which Shane McClanahan is facing. Fair. That's um, very fair. I want to see just because he did have a similar arc last year to McClanahan and that, yeah. you know, he definitely had some great starts. He was on a stretch where he hadn't allowed more than two earned runs in like 11 straight starts. Um, but he did fall off. And I think just with another year of experience, I think that'll help him. Um, you know, the games should be slower each year. So I, I like going with Dylan Cease. I think it'll be hopefully pan out well down the stretch, at least get him in the running. And, yeah, I think, I think he'll be kind of one of the few bright spots for the White Sox this year. I don't, I don't disagree with you at all. Um, another guy who's similar, similarly to Shane, it's like the reliance upon him to win games could push him over that edge. So, um, see, I went back and forth. Honestly, when I when I was doing this, I went back and forth in my head between McClanahan and Cease. Ultimately, it was McClanahan. I just think the Rays may have a little bit better of a system around him than the White Sox do. Um, but both these guys are great. They're both super great young arms, and um, both have super bright futures, especially even this year. So, um, but I'll let you get to Rookie of the Year here, and then we'll get over to the National League. Yeah, for sure. I'm gonna go with a guy that pretty familiar with being on the Orioles, Gunnar Henderson. Um, he didn't play enough games last year to qualify him. As a rookie, so this will be his rookie year. Um, a Radley Rutschman, the other Orioles young star, um, did play enough, so he's not in the running this year, which is why he was, you know, I think the second place vote getter behind Julio Rodriguez last year. Um, but I'm going with Henderson. He he hit really really well last year. I think he was around 280. Um, you know, in all the games that he played. Granted, it wasn't you know a full season of 150 plus games played. But it was it was a sample size nonetheless, and I think with that previous previous experience, um, you know, being around the guys, being in the locker room, having those pro at bats is kind of what led me to that pick. I assume he's he might be favored for this, um, but yeah, I just went with Gunner one because I like him a lot, and two because I think it's a realistic option. Yeah, no, I, that, that's a great pick. Um... It's a guy that I thought about picking. Um, I knew you'd pick him, so I figured I'd go a different direction with another guy that I think could have a great year. 
a super impactful year. Um, it's going to be Josh Young, third baseman for the Texas Rangers, former Texas Tech Red Raider. Um, Texas Tech legend, by the way. This dude, he raked when he was here, um, as did his younger brother. But um, Josh, obviously, probably, I mean, he was supposed to be the opening day starter last year, gets the elbow injury, has surgery, um, you know, hardly played at all. I think he made his debut in, like, like September last year for them. So, um, you know, he he looked great when he did play for them last year in the majors. So I'm going to go with Josh here. I just think that, you know, hot corner could have some really big plays with his glove. Um, I think he'll be hard hitting, you know, hard of the order. I think he batted fifth today. So um, I just think he could put up big numbers as an infielder. Um, you know, be it, have an impactful role on that team as well. Obviously, Corey Seager, Trevor Simeon, um, but I could see uh, I could see Josh Young having a really big year, um, being a kind of a sneaky preseason pick to be one of the better hitters on that team this year. Um, I'll go with Young to win the uh, Amer- American League Rookie of the Year. I like it. Um, yeah, we're just doing those three for each league. So now we'll move to the NL. Um, go MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year. I'll let you start out MVP and we'll kind of finish it out. Cool, cool. Um, mentioned him earlier. Uh, teammate of the guy who won it last year, Nolan Arenado, third baseman for the uh, I don't want to blank in San, San Louis Cardinals. Um, guy was a perennial gold glover, frankly, a perennial platinum glover. Um, this dude, it, one of the best defensive players I've ever seen in like ever seen in the history of baseball. This guy's ridiculous. He had probably he had a career year last year at the plate. Um, obviously overshadowed by this the stupid numbers that that his teammate Goldie put up. But um, I think I think Nolan wins it for a similar reason. I think he put up he puts up really good numbers again this year. Um, he's a guy who always seems to stay pretty healthy, it feels like, um, knock on wood for his sake. Um, I'm a big fan of his game, actually. I think he plays really good baseball. I like the way he plays the game. Um, you know, I think that the Cardinals, again, their lineup is so reliant on those two guys that if that if Nolan has a really good year like he did last year, um, you know, you could see you could see him go and take the National League MVP. I think there's going to be a couple guys that are it's, – it, again, it's a loaded league, especially on the offensive side of the – you know, of the plate, I suppose you could say. Um, there's a ton of big bats in this league that you could have picked. Literally, could have drawn a, a you know, name of 20 out of a hat and like, yep, that I can I can talk somebody into this. Like, uh, but I think Arenado could have a really good year. Obviously, the glove helps. Um, but again, there I think again that there were alliance upon him by the Cardinals for the PL playoff team. Um, that they're, they're going to lean on him as well as Goldie, but really on on him this year I think will be where a lot of the load falls um, on Nolan. I think he could. Um, Definitely come up with it, but I will say, did I, I wasn't gonna make the homer pick here. I already picked the Dodgers to win the World Series, and I'm picking a Dodger later on to win a, one of these last two awards for the National League. But Mookie bets for the same argument, like, hey, like they're not as loaded as they once were last year and the year prior. Like they're gonna rely on him pretty heavily. Could see him taking it, but he's sitting in the leadoff spot, so I think his RBI numbers won't be crazy as they were. Like you know, maybe not jump like they like they would have if Gavin Lux had been healthy and let off. Um. So I'm gonna I, I went with Arenado because I think I tempered my expectations for Mookie's RBI numbers when Lux got hurt, and as well I'm not gonna make the homer pick again here, try and keep it fairly neutral. Um, so with Arenado, but I, again Arenado's awesome. I think he's could easily win it. Um, and genuinely is my pick. I didn't just pick him not to pick Mookie. I picked him because I think he's gonna win it. I like it. Like you said, there's a lot of guys that could win it. Uh, I'm going with Juan Soto, Padres. Um, yeah, I mean. He's probably right up there with the rest of the guys in terms of best odds to win it. A little bit of a down 
stretch last year. Um, you know, I think he bounces back fresh season. Um, yeah, I mean, he has experience. He's obviously produced at a really high rate for the Nationals. Um, so, yeah, I'm going with him. Not much to it. I just think he's going to have overall the best season on what's going to be a pretty loaded team, but I think he, he might have the best season of them all. Cy Young, I'm going with Spencer. Uh, or, real, real quick on 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 Soto. Is he is he going to re-sign with the Padres, you think? Like, genuinely, because I, 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 I don't know what, like, the sentiment seems like people have no, like, like, People really don't know. Like people that are plugged in with baseball, like they they don't know. Like I'm I'm asking you, like, what do you think? I think he will. I I mean I don't think they know right now, but I think they will as the season goes. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'd say yeah. Yeah. I I just I wonder they just gave Manny that massive contract, which well deserved by the way. Right. Manny's gonna be a Padre for life, it seems like, which deserved very much so. Um. Obviously they're they they have money tied up with Tatis. Obviously Joe, they just they just paid you. Like I just I wonder, are they gonna let him hit the market to make the run at, at Otani to try and keep him from going to L.A. or to San Francisco? Because it seems like he wants to stay West Coast. Like it seems like the sentiment right now. So do like do they let Soto hit the market and kind of come back to him? I don't know. Like I, I have no idea. Maybe they just get him locked up and say we're good with the team we have and roll with it. But they just get an interesting conversation piece because he's hasn't signed a deal. They haven't really talked. It doesn't sound like, and people that have kind of know the situation, they really don't know. So I just figured I'd ask you, see what you, see what you thought, but I'll let you get to your sign pick. Yeah. I, I, I think he'll probably resign there. I don't think they're going to be able to land Otani. Um, as of now, this could change, but I think they'll probably, it's a lot more realistic for them to get retained. Soto than bringing in Otani. Um, but my Cy Young, I think it was my side on pick last year as well. Corbin Burns. I think he's going to, you know, have a really, really good year all around. I don't know if he's going to win it. Obviously, it's just a preseason prediction. But I do think he's going to have a solid year and he's going to be fairly consistent more so, at least more so than he was last year. Um, and ultimately, consistency is what might win it for him. Yeah, I mean... Again, Burns the guy I think it's traded. It, it, I wasn't gonna pick him, but when I when it came to mind, it kind of deterred me from it. it. Was like I, I don't think he's a Brewer, and whether I mean he could he could land with a National League team and still win the National League Cy Young, like that wouldn't affect him. Um, but I just I wonder that that would it, it deterred me from kind of putting him in the conversation. But I went with Spencer Strider uh, with the Braves, electric electric pitcher, dude. I mean, he's awesome. Phenomenal mustache as well. Gotta gotta give gotta gotta give flowers where they're you know where they're due. Um, phenomenal stash on on Strider. Um, but he had a great year last year as a young guy. Um, you know I, I think he could take a next. The Braves develop talent. Uh, you know at, at a really high clip and one of the best. Um, you know in the in the majors. So um, especially pitching, it feels like they just have a knack for developing um, pitchers once they you know nobody's making them, you know, young guys that really aren't talked about as high prospects. They come in and are great pitchers for them. Max Fried comes to mind as well. So, um, but I'll go Spencer Strider. I think he has a really good year. I think you look across the national league and you look at guys, Scherzer, uh, you know, Verlander, Kershaw, older guys who are probably going to land on the, on the injured list once or twice this year with obviously Verlander starting there. Um, you know, I think you look across the league like Walker Bueller not pitching this year with with, with Tommy John was my pick last year. Um, 
you know, Aaron Nola had a tough start today. And I just, it, it's hard for me to pick guys who are like these true aces that, that, that like most of the runs are given up on homers. Um, you know, the ERA number matters so much to voters that I think that um, I kind of steered away from that. Um, but Strider feels like a guy who, who had a low ERA last year, really good K numbers, which are always important. So um, kind of what drove me to pick him there. And then um, Loki of the year is our last award here. I'll let you give your thoughts on Strider and then we'll get to our last award here and um, get wrapped up with uh, baseball. Yeah. Another guy that, you know, came on strong over the course of last year, super consistent for the most part. I think he could, uh, obviously I think it'll depend on where the Braves go. And I think he is definitely probably top three odds for this award. Um, and I wouldn't be shocked at all to see him win. And I think he's more than deserving. Had a great year last year. And I think he's going to carry that momentum into this season. Moving on to the rookie of the year, as we kind of wrap up MLB segment with this, I'm going with Corbin Carroll. Um, I think the top prospect. So I assume he's favorite for this. Um, easy pick. If you want to call it that, I just, think he brings all the tools that you want in a young prospect um you know great speed great bat pretty solid in the field unfortunately missed out on seeing him last year went to a uh, amarillo sod poodles game and he was out for that stretch um yeah i i just think he's gonna win it he's gonna he might start slow uh but come on strong and i think he'll stay hitting pretty well yeah, I mean, he's a true five-tool guy and ever since the term. Um, clocked is the fastest player in baseball last year, which is um, a crazy weapon in and of itself, um, just to have that kind of speed on the base path. Um, definitely, I mean, he's, he's far away the odds-on favorite. He's, he's definitely the high. I mean, I think if you look at the American League odds, they're a little more spread out. Like, he's f- far and away the odds-on favorite in the National League. But I picked the guy who's, I believe, the second uh, in odds, favorite in, favorite in odds, to win the award. And that's Miguel Vargas, um, infielder. I'll call him that for the Dodgers. He's going to play second base primarily for them this year. Um, this was, I guess, my one homer pick, I suppose. Um, but, again, I, I, the reason I say this, I think I, we saw Miguel Vargas a little bit last year. Um, obviously, I think it's seen him in the playoffs, which don't get me started on that. Um, but, no, I think you saw him in, in – it made a lot of headlines in spring training because he got, you know, for the first – few weeks you know he had a hairline fracture in the pinky but it's like hey we need you to take reps in game with live balls coming at you playing second base a position he hadn't really played before first of all phenomenal glove at second base he has, he has some awesome plays this year um in, in spring training but he's like hey like hey you can't swing the bat you have to literally sit up there and take pitches you're not allowed to swing the bat and he he, he drew like six walks doing that like pitcher just couldn't throw strikes against him for some reason um I think later in spring training when that was happening, teams like caught on and were like, oh, this guy's not swinging the bat. We can just like pipe fastballs and just get on with it. So um, they ended up swinging the bat late in spring training and looked really good. Um, guy's going to be a doubles machine, I think. Um, guy who the Dodgers have been really, really high on for a few years now. Um, kind of risen in the ranks in their prospect rankings. I believe he's their third ranked prospect right now behind Diego Cartaya, who's a top, you know, it seems like a consensus top. 15 prospect playing catcher and then uh, Bobby Miller's your second ranked prospect uh, pitching. I think he started his year in triple a, um, but no Vargas is, I mean, he, when he was, when Vargas was in triple a last year, he batted like 440 or something like that. Just ridiculous. Um, so I think he's, he's in a position to have a lot of impact early this year. I believe he's batting seventh tonight for them. So um, could see him moving up in the order for sure. Um, kind of his things kind of shake out. 
Um, but just a guy that I think, again, on a Dodgers team that's looking for young guys to contribute. And um, the last time they have had to do that, they, they've got a knack for for guys who win this award. Um, I think they went through a stretch where they won like three of, in four years with Peterson, uh, Seager, or Jock Peterson, Corey Seager, and Cody Bellinger all won it. Uh, I believe it was 15, 17, and 18 when they won those. So um, I'm just going to go with it again. They got a knack for one of those awards. I think Miguel Vargas has a, is in a position to make a really, really high impact on this Dodgers team um, where we haven't really seen a young guy make that kind of high impact since, um, I guess, Will Smith a few years ago and, and going back for a little further to uh, Cody Bellinger in 2018 and Walker Buehler that same year. I like it. Yeah, obviously, you know more about him than I do. Um that's a good pick. Definitely one that will probably come on strong late in the season uh, if he produces like he's, you know, supposed to. Um, yeah, I mean, I just went with a safe pick. I think your pick is just as reasonable um, in terms of what could happen down the stretch. But that pretty much and concludes. I, I was going to add some, I'll add some context real quick to the, the rookie of the year stuff. Like these guys are going to take their licks early. Like they're like, they're like, Look at Adley Rutschman. He, I mean, he struggled early last year at the plate. He's a he's a monster now. Like J Rod last year struggled at the plate to start his year, and the power came around, and he was great at the end of the season. So these guys are going to take their licks. This is a very much a a second half of the year performance award, where these guys, most of these guys are going to suck for a month, and that's and that's okay. You just got to live with that. They've got to develop. Um, you know, not, you can't replicate big league pitching. So I want to add that context. Like in a month, if these picks look terrible give it some time because they could, they could again become a little more clear as we get through, you know, into the July and August towards the latter part of the season when these guys have got a full, you know, full half year under their belt in, in, in the majors. I've seen a lot of pitching and kind of get into their groove. Again, it takes guys, maybe the contacts there, but the power usually comes late for a lot of these guys, um, especially, especially like elite hit tool guys like Vargas and Carroll and, and Gunnar Henderson for that matter too. Um, you know, I think we're – and even Josh Young, like the power is going to come later for these guys. The, the contact kind of comes first, and then they've got a time at big league pitching. So I want to add the context there that, like, all four of these guys could look meh on April 30th or April 31st or April – then after 31st. April – end of April, these guys could look meh, but give it till July, and then we'll kind of talk about these picks a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's it'll take a while, especially for a lot of these guys – didn't really play much last year. Um, yeah. We're going to move on to March Madness, though. Uh, we have a game tonight. Oh, I guess March Madness. We have the Final Four starting Saturday with the National Championship on Monday. But we do have an NIT Championship game tonight. University of Alabama-Birmingham versus University of North Texas. It'll be played in Las Vegas at 8.30 Central on ESPN2. UAB is favored by two and a half. I'm taking UNT. Um, you know, it's talked about that UNT's head coach is ready to sign as Texas Tech's new head basketball coach once they conclude their season tonight. Whether it be win or loss, their season's over with this being the championship game. Um, so, yeah, I'm going UNT. Give me the mean green plus two and a half every day. No, um, I'll I'll probably watch just to kind of see um, Grant McCaslin, I, which I think is how you say his last name. Correct me if I'm wrong. Grant, I think it's McCaslin. Um, I just want to kind of see his defense in action. Obviously, they put the clamps on Wisconsin in the last final 10 minutes of the game last week. 
um, in the semifinals. So kind of just want to see his team in action. Um, you know, I'll probably have time to throw it on, but obviously, listen, before the Dodgers game, the Dodgers game is at 9-10 tonight. Later start for us in Central Time. That's all right. I'm just going to catch it. But I'll catch the first 40 minutes of that game, and I'll probably check the scores as we go. Um, but, no, like you mentioned, I think the bigger talking point, at least for us here, is that, um, you know, McCaslin, it's all but official, right? Like, we weren't going to get an official announcement from the school or from him, you know, before they finished up their season. But, um, you know, local Lubbock news reporters um, have been reporting it that he's, you know, set to be named head coach. Which is kind of how these things usually work. Um, you know, even small, you know, smaller schools that make these runs in the tournament, there's these rumblings like, "Hey, X, X bigger school is going to go sign them." Um, so I think it's super surprising. I think um, the hiring is really good. I think I saw this today, and I don't. Obviously, I mean, this is like those other college fan base, but the Texas Tech homers are. They come out the woodwork sometimes, man. There's some bad takes on Twitter uh, from the Texas Tech faithful. But you know what? We love them. Um, but I, I didn't disagree with this entirely. I thought this was a good a good way to think about this. If you look at Grant McCaslin's you know, resume when he's hired, to, presumably tomorrow, versus what Chris Beards was when he, at the point of hiring, when they hired him, what, in 2016 or whatever it was? Something like that. When they hired him, like – you can make the argument that McCaslin has a better resume right now. Obviously, listen, right now, obviously right now, Chris Beard's a more decorated head coach in terms of wins. Obviously the off the court demons are the off court demons and that's derailed his career significantly. But in terms of like accolades and, and things he's accomplished, he's obviously more accomplished coach now made it to a final four, made it to a national championship game. Um, came up just short of that, made a lot of deep runs in the tournament. But when you look at resumes of when they were hired by Texas tech, the argument is certainly there, and I don't entirely disagree that McCaslin may have a better, you know, record or track record or resume. Um, again, I, I I don't know enough. I'd have to actually go back and really look at it and to make my own opinion about it. But I saw it and I thought, man, like if I th- really think about it, just without actually looking it up and doing the research, like it, it, it makes sense. Like it, that that adds up for me. So, um, yeah, I, I don't I don't dislike the hire. I think um, I think Tech probably took a couple swings. At some bigger names like a Rick Pitino, but it seemed like he wanted to stay East Coast. And, um, you know, ultimately, a lot of these coaches that are on the East Coast want to stay there. So um, and I'm not I'm not advocating for Pitino either, you know, one way or another. I'm just saying that was a guy that, that sounds like they reached out to. Um, got told he wanted to stay East Coast and going to what St. John's. So. Um, but no, I think the McCaston hire is good. Again, they like the in-state. They like they like the in-state guys. Um done a lot of really good things at UNT at a mean green program that all love to those that go to UNT and that are alums. I have one of my best family friends. Uh, he's a UNT alum uh, or my dad's age, but they're not, um, it's not the greatest sports school. And we know that, especially basketball, they're not a great basketball program, but what he's been able to do there in his time there, um, elevating them to this, to this NIT championship, which is, a, which is a great accomplishment for a team like that. Don't get me wrong. It's not, the, it's not the NCAA tournament, but, for a school like that and a school like UAB getting to this point, it's awesome for them. It's not like, you know, when Texas won a few years ago and won it. And I'm going to send that to Slender, Texas. That's like any, like Wisconsin winning the NIT would have been like, Ooh, yay, Wisconsin. You guys won the, like you're a power five program that, that should be making runs in the tournament. Like that's not, but for schools like this, this is what the NIT, NIT, NIT is meant for. Um, and I think this is great. I think when you look at what he's done there, um, it'd be a great hire for the Red Raiders. So uh, I'm looking forward to it being announced tomorrow morning. I assume, between the hours of 7:30 and 10:30, probably Central Time, whatever that time frame is, I'm not really sure, but um, I would assume the guys at UNT are self-aware enough to know um, that McCassin's out of there. 
Yeah, I think so. Um, they talked about this for a little bit. I'm just yeah. excited to have a new head coach, have it be official, yes. um, have something to look forward to overall. Um, but yeah, Graham Castlin, I like that he's, you know, he's from Texas, like through and through. He went to Baylor. His family's really good friends with Scott Drew's family. Scott Drew is the head coach at Baylor, obviously, is an incredible head coach. Um, so they're really close, the two of them. I think their kids are super close. I mean, he has a – he's been at UNT – this is his sixth season at UNT. Before that, he was at Arkansas State. He has a 67.3 career winning percentage as a head coach, which is great. And only 46, so definitely going to be one of the younger head coaches. Um you know, a bright future. And I think going back to kind of what tech succeeded with, who's kind of a younger head coach, um, you know, time to build more of a culture um, and kind of build up their brand, similar to what we see with the football program and Joey McGuire, um, who was on the um, coaching staff or coaching staff, coaching hire staff, along with, you know, former Texas Tech forward Norrence Odeyase, who was a part of the national championship runner-up team. Um, so definitely, I think they did their work when looking for a new head coach, and I think hopefully they made the right hire um, with it being McCaslin if it does become official. Um, so excited yeah, for that. Tom, and time will tell. We won't know right away. Obviously, be, there's going to be a lot of hype and a lot of love. And um, and, I, and I'm not I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I just think we're going to have to. You know, time's going to tell him. It's going to be a big recruiting cycle for him to get in here really quickly and get that going. Um, keep guys here. It's a big one. I mean, it sounds like the, like kind of the key players are going to be back, but keeping guys here, hitting the portal hard, hitting the the, the recruiting trail hard. So going to be interesting to see kind of how that unfolds. But, again, time's going to tell um, whether or not that was the right move. But um, right now it seems like a good win, and I'm on board with it for sure, like you said. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll probably tune into that game for a little bit tonight, see how that goes. Um but now getting to March Madness, we had Sweet 16, Thursday, Friday, Elite Eight was this past Saturday, Sunday. So on Saturday, we had the nine-seed Florida Atlantic Owls against the three-seed Kansas State Wildcats. FAU ended up winning that game by three, 79-76. Uh, one of the three really close games in the Elite Eight, you know, Marquise Noel, the Kansas State point guard, he finished with 30 points, 12 assists, three rebounds, and five steals. Just two days after having 20 points, 19 assists, three rebounds, and five steals versus Michigan State to eliminate the Spartans in the Sweet 16. Um, I think he played every minute but three in the tournament, which is really impressive. Um, kind of a one-man show for the most part. Kante Johnson played well, not as well as some people thought he would. Um, was in foul trouble a few games. Nonetheless, a great season for Kansas State, but Florida Atlantic, um, led by head coach Dusty May is doing an incredible job um, with that group and they're headed off to the final four. Um, so excited to see that game. Obviously going to be tuned into both of those final four games, but great job from Florida Atlantic. Yeah, no, the, the, the Cinderella run continues, right? I mean, it's, um, it's interesting to see. I, I, I did not think they were going to win this game at all. I thought um, kind of the one, two combo of, of, of Marquise Noel and, um, and Keontae Johnson would do it for him. Obviously, Keontae fouled out um, with what, like four, three or four minutes to go, which was um, ultimately be, it ended up being a deciding factor for that game. Um, kind of get to the next game here, though. Uh, UConn versus Gonzaga. It was actually the last game that was played. Um, Gonzaga won eight, or Gonzaga, UConn won 82 to 54. Uh, it, 
the le- one of the least competitive Elite Eight games I've ever seen. Um, UConn rolled early. I mean, they were up big early, and they went up by as much as 33 in the second half. So um, by far the least exciting Elite Eight game this year. One of the least competitive Elite Eight games I've seen in a long time. Um, they just UConn looks different right now, man. They look different. They look they've, – they've got probably two lotto picks. Um, yeah, I said it last week. They're one of the best fours we've seen in a long time. The fact that they were a four to me was a little bit a little bit wild. Um, obviously, the end of the season didn't go great for them to turn the conference tournament and stuff. But, like, dude, they – I mean, they're just – they were a really good basketball team. So, um, they look different. I think, um, you know, I, I think teams that were watching them, like I think the Texas and Miami that were watching um, on Saturday were terrified just to win the game and go see UConn. I think teams are not going to want to play them. Um, they Like I said, they just look different right now. So obviously they're the favorite to win it all right now. Um, I, we'll make those picks in a minute, but um, dominating performance from UConn against a, again, it's frankly a really a veteran a scrappy and a resilient Gonzaga team that I did not think would, would fold like that. Yeah, no doubt. This was super exciting Saturday night game to watch. Um, I mean, yeah, winning by 28, going up by as much as 33 with, I think, a few minutes left. The impressive part wasn't that they scored 82 against Gonzaga. Gonzaga didn't really play defense. They not always win shootouts. The impressive part was holding Gonzaga to 54 points. Um, you know, they were the best offense in the country. They averaged about 90 points a game. So be, holding them to 36 points under their average is just insane, especially with Gonzaga having the shooters that they have. It's just, you know, UConn has two really good players and four great, like four solid players. So um, what's great about UConn, I think, is the depth to mix with the talent that they have. You see a lot of the teams that are really good, like Kansas State and Gonzaga, that don't quite have the depth that UConn has. Um, but yeah, not really exciting game, but nonetheless, it was fun to watch their run that UConn was going on. I think it was some crazy run at some point, like 28 to two or something like that, um, yeah. where they jumped out I to mean, the big lead. Blew it open at one point. It was just unfair. But yeah, it was exciting to watch it, and it quickly became not exciting. I think it was I think is the way that I would sum that up. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Should should make for some closer games this weekend, but this past Sunday we had the second. Uh, batch of Elite Eight games. We had first up was number six Creighton versus number five San Diego State. A lot of people thought it'd be really really close, and it ended up being just that. Uh, San Diego State won by one point. Um, Creighton tied it at 56 with the inbound uh, quick layup with 32 six seconds left. Um, San Diego State did have the final possession, however, caught a timeout, advanced the ball, inbounded it. Um, kind of dribbled around and did get to the paint, threw up a shot, uh, did not go in, but the there was a foul called. Um, San Diego State missed the first free throw, made the second one with a second left. You know, Creighton had a full court heave to try to get something to win it, didn't get the shot off. So San Diego State ended up winning by one. Great game. Didn't really catch uh, much of it, but nonetheless, another great finish in the Elite Eight. Um between two pretty evenly matched teams. Yeah, I mean, it was a great game. Um, I think we almost we, we saw what was almost like the worst sell like of all time, like late in a game from San Diego State, like in the Elite Eight game. I mean, the worst inbound pass I've ever seen. How are you gonna? 
there was a, I mean, basically, basically what happened is they're inbounding on uh, Creighton's side of the court, and they threw this like, basically it was like a like a fade ball in a football. Like they threw just like this jump ball to their big, which like, listen, I'm all about throwing it up for a big, but never towards an opponent's basket. What happened is the the San Diego State big couldn't get to it. It falls right into the Creighton big's hand, and he literally just like catches it down up and like literally like off the glass lays it in for two and ties the game. So. Obviously, San Diego State ended up pulling it out. Um, a questionable, I don't say questionable, a controversial call late. Um, while it was probably the right call, it sucks that it, like a game should never end that way. But ultimately, it was the right call to make. Um, but nonetheless, San Diego State moves on. Creighton um, kind of goes down, and um, in our final game, uh, five Miami versus two Texas. Miami had a miraculous late run with what what. 12 minutes left. Texas was up 13. Miami ends up winning 88 to 81. They went on an 11 to 4 run um, after the game was tied at 77 with 207 remaining. Um, Jordan Miller had, I mean, he went, I mean, it's a ridiculous game, dude. 27 points, but 7 for 7 from the field and 13 for 13 at the line is absurd. In, in the NBA, that's absurd. In college, it's even crazier. Um, if you get to the line 13 times in general, that's stupid. You make all 13 of them, that's really impressive. And then, obviously, 7 for 7 from the field is – it's literally perfect. It's 100%. So, um, definitely a deciding factor for them. And, um, you know, Frank, like I, like I remember, like, I, I was watching. I was like, man, like, this game, like, Texas probably has this. Like, I was like, I don't know if Miami's going to be like – they were getting close, but time was kind of getting down – getting getting tight. And I was like, yeah, time's not on their side. Like, I don't know if they can do it. So, like, I went to go do something like in, like, my living room or my kitchen whatever. Like, I, I left watching it in my room to go do something. I came back, and I was like, oh, my God, Miami's going to win. Like, Miami's up late. They're going to win this game. So, it was crazy. Um, crazy turn of events. I ended up watching, like, the recap afterwards. It was wild. But um, a Texas team that I thought looked like the best team in the country that was left um, with a really, really bad performance uh, late in the game. Yeah, I mean – UT up by 13 with 12 minutes left. Then the game becomes tied just 10 minutes later. So with two minutes left, like you said, tied at 77. Miami scores 11 points in the final two minutes um, to win an 88-81. is just crazy, um, uncharacteristic from UT. And what was you know a very experienced roster, a lot of guys, fifth, sixth year. I think five guys aren't able to come back due to eligibility. Um. So yeah, just a tough finish to the season for UT. However, they did re-sign or extend their interim head coach, Rodney Terry, to, a, I believe, a five-year contract. Um, it seemed pretty common sense for to me. Um, but just unfortunate for them that they came out on the losing end of this game against the Miami Hurricanes. Miami, I mean, Miami, I don't think, should have been here. They shouldn't have been a Final Four team coming into the tournament, I don't think. You look at the roster, you look at the other teams in the tourney, and you probably didn't see this coming, but they make their free throws. I mean, they went 28 of 32 in this game from the line, which is insane. Almost 90% as a team when you shoot 32 free throws is incredible. I mean, most teams you'd be hoping to make 20, but if you make 28, I mean, that's a big difference. Just this, I mean, it's the difference between a win and a loss. So, Big game for Miami. Um, be interesting to see if they can keep it up against UConn. But that concludes the Elite Eight uh, recap. Moving on to the Final Four preview. So this upcoming Saturday, in just a couple days, 
We have the Florida Atlantic Owls against San Diego State Aztecs, and that's the early game on Saturday at 5.09 Central on CBS. And San Diego State is favored by three. I don't know how to feel about that line. I feel like three is pretty accurate. Um, but I'm going to go San Diego State by five. I think San Diego State wins like 81-76 or something like that. Um, I don't know if San Diego State, we know they have good defense, but I don't know if their offense will be able to play really well. Obviously, Ford Atlantic, biggest game they've had uh, to date. So it'll be interesting to see how they you know outscore San Diego State because I do think Florida Atlantic has a much better offense. However, San Diego State's much San Diego State's defense is much better. Um, but I do think Florida Atlantic had some good experience and some good looks against Kansas State, which was a really potent offense. Yeah, um, I mean this is a tough one for me to pick. Um, you know, part of me says like, man, San Diego State just seems like the better basketball team. But the other part of me says like, man, they like throw it out the window. They they were in the final four. Throw it out the window. Who's hot? So I'm gonna go with Florida Atlantic to win. Um, it, it three seems th- three is honestly a great line. Um, I'd like it to not be three because I'd like it to be like two and a half or three and a half. I don't I don't love having a push. Um, should they win by exactly three? Obviously this can change before Saturday, but um, I'm gonna take Florida Atlantic. I'm gonna stick. I'm gonna go with my heart and not my head in March Madness here. I'm going to go Florida Atlantic just to keep the run going. Um, and then the second game, we've got Miami versus UConn at 749 on CBS on Saturday. UConn's currently favored by five and a half. Again, it seems like a pretty good line. Um, I'm going to take UConn to win by – I'm going to take them and to cover, I think. Um, I'd probably take UConn to win by like eight-ish. Um, college basketball teams have this thing about like fouling late. And I don't know if this game is going to be like a last possession game. I think it's going to be a game where UConn's up late and they end up getting fouled. So um, give me UConn to cover it five and a half. But just give me UConn in general. I think, they, they, like I said, they look different. All the other teams were in really tight games that could have gone either way. Obviously, Miami pulls away late with the with the just ridiculous fouling that Texas Texas did. Which, for, again, I hate it for some reason, but they, they do it, whatever. But... It all were in tight games, whereas UConn, with arguably the best team remaining, took them to the woodshed and just they went crazy. So, um, I'm gonna go UConn. UConn's my pick to win it. So, um, yeah, the way they're playing, uh, but give me them over Miami at five minus five and a half, and we'll get to the uh, the previews in a second. Yeah, I like that line as well. Um, I think UConn, I'm picking a win at all. From the teams left five and a half yep. i say they win by nine or ten so i'll pick uconn um i just think miami obviously jordan miller being perfect isn't going to happen again most likely yeah um it's kind of what i'm thinking too so uconn i think has more experience they're by far even including the elite eight teams they've had by far the best past 20 years out of all the teams remaining um None of these teams, I don't think, have ever been to the Final Four, and UConn has four titles. So a little bit uh, different class that we're talking about with them. But I think it should be a good game for most of it. I think UConn's just going to end up you know, pulling away down the stretch, um, probably wins by 10 or so. Obviously, that leads us to the national championship on Monday at 820 on CBS. I'm going to go San Diego State versus UConn. I figure the line is probably UConn by like four. And I'll pick UConn by like six. So that's probably 
what's going to happen, obviously, just picking the higher seeds to win every game. But when the high seeds are four and two fives, I mean, you can't yeah. really go wrong. It just doesn't you, seem yeah, you like can't go a bad it's not like you're making. So. It's like you're picking chalk, right? Yeah, you're picking favorites, but the lines are three and five and a half. Like, you're just making right. the picky things right. Um, I got FAU and UConn. I'm going to go. I'm, gonna, I'm with you. I think UConn's going to win. I think if, if it's FAU versus UConn, the line probably opens like UConn minus seven and a half or eight and a half. And I'll probably take them to cover. I, again, I just think UConn, they look different. They they look different. Um, they, defensively, they look different. They look faster. They look quicker. They look more attentive. Than the teams that are left, and and offensively, like, I, th- what they, what they are able to do is give you two really good scoring options, and like you said, four really solid pieces on the floor. Where it's like the, these, you know, all of the, all the other three teams left, it's like it's one guy, and it's kind of like who's gonna who's gonna step up today? You know, it's almost like a, a carousel. Who who's gonna play big today? So um, I'm gonna go UConn. I, again, I just think that they're different. Their talent at this point where we're at their talents going to win out, I think. Um, so yeah, give me UConn as well to win it all here. Um, as much as cool as it would be to see a team that's never, I mean, I don't think these teams have ever been to a final four as cool as it would be to see a new team win a title. I don't think it's in the cards this year. I think UConn, um, I keep saying it, they look different, man. And I'm going to go up and roll with them through the end here. Yeah. I like it. Pretty much agree um, with all of that. But closing out the episode, we got the NFL here. Uh, not too much news this week, but we did have, um, you know, a couple big things. One was that I don't think it's big news, but the fact that he said it publicly, I think, made it big news. Um, Lamar Jackson tweeted that he requested a trade from the Ravens back on March 2nd, which is four weeks ago from a couple of days ago. So I think this obviously isn't big news, but the fact that he, I, he said he requested a trade was notable. Um, obviously kind of a dry spell of news, so it's definitely took a lot of that attention. Having pro days and stuff, but I mean, their pro days at the end of the day um, can only garner so much attention. But yeah, this is, this is notable. No one has reached out to Lamar whatsoever from any other teams as of now. That's been documented. Um, I don't think the relationship between the Ravens and Lamar is soured as much as a lot of people think it is. I think it's mainly monetary. Um, I think Lamar wants a deal, um, not fully guaranteed, but he wants a deal. And the Ravens aren't willing to go up from what he, from what they're willing to do, which is a good contract. I mean, it's probably the second richest contract in guarantees and average annual value i think so it's i mean it's all right there and it's not a bad contract they're not lowballing him by any means um and i don't think any other team is willing to take that chance on lamar given that he's missed six games each of the last two seasons and i just i don't think he's going to end up anywhere else as of now unless someone doesn't like what they see after they're done evaluating the draft prospects and then decides to make a move for him. Or um, it's a draft night deal where, based on who's on the board, they don't want anyone, so they're going to get Lamar. That's kind of what I think would go down. However, for that to go down, they need to have an offer sheet in place prior that they already know Lamar is going to agree upon, or else he's not going to go to the team. So there does need to be some conversations 
um, take place between teams and Lamar before the draft. However, I don't think we're going to have much of anything in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of give my thoughts. I think this becoming public information is big. It, it, I think, I think what it does is it shines a light on how frustrated Lamar Jackson is. And whether that's with the Ravens or whether that's with social media, I don't know, but the frustration of the situation as a, as a whole, um, I think we are starting to. I, I, I think I think you're right. I, I, it doesn't seem like the relationship has soured the way that people are painting it to be. However, I think we are on the road to it souring very quickly. Um, like I think this is the point at which you're going to start to see it potentially get really, really sour, really, really quickly, depending on how these next, frankly, the next 20 days go. Because they, you know, there's got to be a plan in place, you know, a week before the draft. So. Um, you know, the next 20 ish days are going to be big for the relationship to be mended or to kind of be preserved, if you will, um, to prevent damaging of the relationship. Um, I'll also add, it's annoying me that I see on Twitter, man, I don't know why these teams aren't going to give up two first rounders for Lamar. Okay, guys, it's not two first rounders because guess what? If you want Lamar Jackson, you're going to have to trade for him, not sign the offer sheet. You're gonna, what's going to have to happen is the Ravens aren't going to be like, I promise you right now, the Ravens are not going to give up just two first round picks for Lamar Jackson. That's not what's going to happen. That's just, it's not what's going to happen. They're going to get more for him. What's going to happen is a team's going to approach Lamar Jackson at some point, some team's going to give and say, you know what? It's a hell with the ceasefire. If that's what you want to call it, it's going on right now. We, we we are firing. We are making our move. Whether that's the Colts or whether that's the Bucks or the or the Commanders, I don't know who it is. Maybe it's the Jets when the Rodgers thing falls through. I don't know. But some team's going to just do it, and they're going to go for it, and, and they're going to take a they take a swing. And what's going to happen is they're going to go to Lamar, not with an offer sheet, but like, hey, Lamar, how does this contract look to you? Looks pretty good to me. Okay, great. Go to the Ravens. We're going to trade for you and we're going to sign you after the fact. Because frankly, if I'm, we're going to, let's use Atlanta, for example. I know Atlanta's, they're out. Atlanta's not out. Sorry, Atlanta's not out. They're just not. This is, I think, a lot of smoke. Or if you want, you know, I'll even use the commanders for reference because people don't, people don't like talking about the Falcons with it for some reason. The commanders are going to say, like if I'm sitting there in, in their shoes, what I don't want to do, I don't want to sign. I don't want to make this offer. Have Lamar sign the offer sheet, and then Baltimore goes, "Never mind, guys. We're gonna sign the offer sheet. He's a Raven. Screw off. But go pound sand, basically, right?" In my mind, if I'm a GM, I'm gonna go approach Lamar and say, "Hey, here, let's work out the framework of a contract. We get to a place that you like. Go tell Eric DaCosta you want to get traded, and and then have him have him call me, and we'll work out a deal." Because I'm telling you right now, the Ravens aren't just going to take two first for him. That's not going to happen. There's going to be a trade in place that's not just like a formality. I need people to understand that. Like it's not just going to be two first first rounders for Lamar. Sorry, this is not how it's going to be. It's not how this is going to work. There's nuance to this. It's not, the Ravens aren't just going to let him walk for two firsts. Guess what? Those firsts are going to be back back into the first picks anyways. I'm, that's not what I'm doing. I'm getting a haul for him. And frankly, it has to be picks this year. Has to be picks this year. It has to be resolved before April 27th, in my mind. You can't let him go. And and I know you love Snoop. 
let's be realistic though. You can't let him go, roll with Snoop Huntley, and not get anything else in return. You can't sit there and not get get literally nothing to to, to recoup the value you're going to lose right now. You're you're punting on 2023 basically. You're saying we're not getting any capital in return for him. We're going to roll with a backup quarterback, and we're going to see what happens in a in a in a loaded conference. That's a recipe for missing the playoffs. And sitting there with a roster that's way too talented to be picking in range to get Caleb, Caleb Williams or Drake May. And unfortunately for them, we can talk about stockpiling picks, but it ain't going to be for Caleb because there's I genuinely there's going to be a team that actively tanks for him. And so it, we're kind of getting into the weeds, but what I'm trying to get at is the Ravens have to get this solved pretty soon. And if teams are going to take a swing, they're going to have to start taking swings pretty soon because it, 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 this has to be resolved by draft night for all parties involved, frankly. Um, and I don't think it's just going to be two first rounders for Lamar. I've, I've seen I've seen like mainstream podcasts run with that, and it's just I think it's fundamentally wrong. I think it's totally false. So I wanted to get that out there before we kind of wrap up the episode with a little bit of news we've got, but wanted to get that out there that's just fundamentally wrong. It's not going to happen. Yeah, I agree. Um, trades are based off of creativity normally between the two organizations and. With a non-exclusive franchise tender, you can't have any creativity with the trade. It's your two highest first-round picks of the following two of the next two drafts consecutively. So, if you trade with Indy, it's going to be four and their highest first next year if they have more than one. If you trade with Houston, it's going to be two and the highest first next year. So, there's no creativity in that. If a team wants Lamar. They could try to sign him to offer sheet, but the Ravens are going to match it. No team's going to offer more Lamar more on an offer sheet than the Ravens already have. So like you said, if a team wants to acquire Lamar, then they're going to have to have the rate. Have, first of all, Lamar's going to have to sign the franchise tag for 32.416 mil or whatever it is. Then the Ravens can facilitate a trade. But Lamar's going to have to sign the franchise tag and then work out a deal with the team that he's being traded to. Likely, you know, the Ravens are probably sending a mid to late round pick with Lamar just to keep the picks pretty even in terms of quantity. Now, in terms of quality, obviously, the Ravens will probably get three firsts, um, likely a day two pick in there as well. Um, but there's, there's so many ways this could go. Honestly, it's I'm just ready for a resolution regardless of what it is. I don't really care at this point what ends up happening with the scenario i just want it to end and for people to talk about something else same with aaron Rodgers' scenario it uh, looks like aaron Rodgers' deal should get done soon um the packers are no longer asking for a day one pick apparently probably you know a couple day two second rounders uh conditional pick something like that but that's pretty much it for big news we did have a few um signings this week but before that there was a rule passed at the annual nfl owners meeting in arizona and the rule was that NFL players can now wear the number zero. We saw, you know, Calvin Ridley, the first player ever wearing number zero. Paris Campbell for the Giants is also going to wear a number zero. No one else as of now has said that they're going to wear a number zero. Um, in terms of positions that can wear what numbers? So QB, zero to 19. Punters and place kickers, zero to 49. And 90 to 99 are numbers they can choose from. Defensive backs, so safeties and corners, can wear any number anywhere from 0 to 49. Running backs, fullbacks, tight ends, wide receivers, they can wear 0 to 49 or 80 to 89. 
Offensive linemen can wear 50 to 79. Defensive linemen can wear 50 to 79 and 90 to 99. And linebackers can wear 0 to 59 and 90 to 99. So every single player can wear 0 except offensive and defensive linemen. Um, I don't know if we'll see anyone opt to wear 0 in the next few days. We might see a few. Um, probably won't touch on it anymore. just wanted to say Ridley and Campbell are kind of the first couple guys. Maybe if someone notable says they want to wear a zero, maybe we'll mention it. But other than that, kind of just formality, kind of a weird quirk to the NFL. Um, I think seeing someone wear a zero in the NFL is going to be a little um, – takes some getting used to, as did, you know, when they just said last year that receivers and linebackers could wear single digits. Running backs, I think that was a little eye-opening as well, kind of following suit of the college football. Um, but moving on here to – Free agency did have a few minor signings, six signings that were all one year. Um, I'll start it off. So the Panthers, we mentioned that they added Adam Thielen on a three-year deal just a couple weeks ago. They signed another wide receiver, DJ Chark, to a one-year $5 million deal. So a pretty good value there for him. I wish the Ravens would have gotten him on that number. Um, But, yeah, pretty good deal for Carolina for – you know, kind of a team that's rebuilding after they traded away a lot to get to the top pick. Yeah. Um, DJ Chark's a good move. I think he's a solid addition to a receiver room that needed some depth. Um, I've been pretty vocal about the fact that they're taking a receiver in the second round. I think um, they think they've got, you know, they kept the pick there for a reason. They've got to be taking one. Um, Chark kind of fills a role where he can be your big body or he can be your speed threat, which I think is nice. Um, you know, whether they want to go attack a Cedric Tillman or they want to go attack maybe a, a Josh Downs, they've kind of opened themselves up to kind of do take just the best receiver available, to best pass catcher available, um, and kind of go ahead and work with that room as is there with the rookie quarterback. I will add to the, to the zero thing, Darnell Washington's stock has gone up with that. He gets to keep wearing zero. Throw that in there as well. But no, um, keeping it pushing here with the free agency stuff. Uh, Eagles signed safety Terrell Edmonds to a one-year, $2 million deal. Um, I like it. Get, we, we talked about this. I think this deal was done before we, you know, when we were doing the mock last week of we think they need safety help still. Um, obviously, Edmonds is solid. He's never been a any elite safety by any means. Um, but, I mean, it, it's a good depth for that room. And then um, I'll kind of pick up one other one here so we can kind of keep it rolling a little quicker. Um, get out of here in a timely manner. The Seahawks signed or I guess re-signed, um, brought him back after a year away from the team. Linebacker Bobby Wagner did a one-year $7 million deal. Um, I like it. I think it's them just kind of trying to, you know, patchwork linebacker for a single year um, while they're in win-now mode. Uh, big fan of getting him in that room. Um, and it's, it's an overall good move. Cool to see him go back. I bet he retires this year. I think this is kind of a deal that signals a retirement soon. Um, but, no, I like the deal a lot for Wagner and um, solid deal for the Seahawks and uh, all parties involved. Yeah, I agree. I obviously signed that deal with the Rams. I believe it was like it was at least three years. I thought. Um, yeah, it was, it was something like that, but it but it was cuttable after every year. Like there was cap savings after right. every year. So there's basically one of those deals. It's like, hey, if you play well, or we're decent again. Like we'll keep you for another year. And so they ended up cutting them after two years. But yeah, I remember last off season, it was down to the Ravens and the Rams. They both offered him. I think pretty much the same contracts just he would he wanted to be in LA so he went to the Rams but looking back on I was upset that we didn't get him um 
but I'm really glad we didn't now because we probably wouldn't have Roquan and um, you know, why I didn't choose Ravens. I think I'm glad with that being the outcome um, now. Um, moving on though, the Cincinnati Bengals signed tight end Irv Smith Jr., formerly a Minnesota Viking that finished out his rookie deal to a one-year deal. We don't have the contract number on that yet, presumably not too high. Um, they did lose Hayden Hurst to the Panthers, so they do need a tight end. They could still add another one. I don't know if they will early or not, um, but could still add another one. The Falcons signed former Ravens defensive end Calais Campbell to a one-year deal. Calais was under contract with the Ravens. However, the Ravens cut him to save $7 million on this year's cap. Calais is at 99 career sacks, so wanted to come back for one more year to reach that 100 career sacks milestone. Then to round it out, the Detroit Lions, they signed wide receiver Marvin Jones, brought him back um, to a one-year $3 million deal. It's worth up to $5 million. Um, Marvin played for Detroit from 2016 to 2020. Um, obviously, these past two seasons, he was in Jacksonville. But back in Detroit, um, their offense is looking really good. Obviously, could use a, another running back, but receivers are looking pretty good right now with uh, you know Marvin Jones and Jamison Williams. Not wide receiver ones. Uh, they do have a minor St. Brown, and they could still add a wide receiver. Likely not on day one anymore, but just because of the signage from a um, you know number of receiver standpoint. But they could definitely add one on day two. Um, but yeah, I thought all these signings were pretty good for pretty good value, which is mainly what you see here in kind of the second 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 wave of free agency. Yeah, I think I, I texted you as soon as as soon as the Earth news broke. I didn't even like send it to you. I just texted you. I said. I said, well, that takes tight end if they're worth 28. Because I, I genuinely think, like, you know, the tight end class is deep enough where um, they could view Irv Smith Jr. as a stopgap for a year. Because historically, even tight ends drafted in the first round don't come in and produce right away. There's kind of a known deal with with rookies. Um, kind of an adjustment period to kind of playing. Uh, it's an adjustment at both spots, and tight end does, you know, more than one thing. They they catch passes, they run routes, and they have to block. So usually an adjustment period for those guys. So I think that they view Irv Smith as a stopgap tight end. And they draft one in round two or round three um, and kind of roll with that. That's what kind of what I think is going to happen. They have more pressing needs to tend to at 28 than to take a tight end there. Um, especially now with Irv Smith there. And then Clayus Campbell, Marvin Jones, just two veteran signings. I think Marvin Jones going back to Detroit. Um, kind of a prove-it deal. I think it's a guy who um, you could still some potential earnings left in his career if he has a good year. Um, like to fill in there with them losing Chark to kind of they don't they don't replace the same skill set, but they replace the role that Marvin Jones is going to fill. Um, obviously they don't need the deep speed throw with Chark. They have JMO now fully healthy, so um, like the Marvin Jones. And then Clayus Campbell um, doesn't signal anything to me. I think it just reinforces that like hey like they've got a guy like they can play defensive and they don't have to take an end, but also at the same time like, they've got a guy that they can um, like I'd love to see Miles Murphy and or um, you know Lucas Van Ness learn from guy like Calais, another big body guy who. Um, kind of plays that big end role, can kind of reduce inside too. So, um, really good veteran mentor as well. If they are, if they are going to take a guy at eight, um, if they don't, they have a guy they can play there on some downs. It's you know, somewhat not a he's not a traffic cone. He's not just there. He's going to have some sort of impact at some level. But um, wraps up the podcast today. Got the ice path to get us out of here. Um, I'll go ahead and go first. Y'all just keep it, keep it rolling with the flow here. Um. I had one earlier about just I was excited for baseball season, but I've kind of talked about that a lot. And I just saw this I saw this stat um like while we were recording that um Dodgers rookies Miguel Vargas and James Outman are the first pair of rookie teammates to start 
for the Dodgers on opening day since 1985, um, which is pretty cool. Obviously, they've had a lot of success with the rookies in their lineup. Um, again, you can look at you can look at Will Smith a couple of years ago. You can look at Cody Bellinger winning Rookie of the Year, Corey Seager, Jack Peterson in the same light. But um, I think it's pretty cool. I'm a big fan of both these guys. Obviously, I'm a big Vargas fan. Really glad that Outman's on the on the Major League roster starting tonight. Um, you know, he raked in AAA. He also hit over 400 when he was up there last year in AAA. Um, had a, had a pretty good stretch when he was on the major league team, kind of filling in for injuries. So really excited about these guys' careers. Really excited to see where they go. Um, I'm all for the youth movement in Los Angeles and um, excited for baseball season and excited to see these two guys' careers um, kind of take off this year in Los Angeles. Yeah, that's pretty impressive as the uh, Dodgers get a little bit younger this season. Losing, you know, Justin Turner, Cody Bellinger, um, Justin Turner being one of the big vets on that roster. Um, but, I mean, those two guys should have really productive seasons for them. Obviously, both playing on opening day is big, and it just shows, you know, kind of what they see in those two guys. So should be fun to see their development, especially early on this season. Um, you see how they fit in, see how they acclimate. But my uh, ice bath here is with MLB opening day today, uh, like we said, I just want to give a shout-out to Adley Rutschman. He was five for five today, and he did get walked as well. Um, his first swing of the season was a 402-foot bomb to right field. Um, you know, the next four hits were all singles, two of them being infield hits. He did reach in all six plate appearances. Um, he's the first catcher in Major League history with a five-hit opening day and just the eighth player overall with a five-hit opening day since 1900. Um, really impressive stuff from him. You know, you've heard a few people probably talk about him as a, you know, dark horse MVP candidate. Obviously, great opening day um, for him. The Orioles did grab the win 10-9 to over Boston after, you know, going out to a pretty big lead. Um, allowed a few runs with the bullpen. So, nonetheless, Orioles start season 1-0. and um, You know, I'm going to try not to fall for their fast start again this year and kind of wait to see how it goes because it seems like they always start 5-6-7-0 and every season almost. Um, yeah, I'll see how it goes. I'm expecting big things from them. I hope they, I think 500 is the basement in terms of expectations. Um, you know, you hope they finish with at least 81 wins. I'm going, I probably guess like 85, 86 is probably where they'll finish. Um, if I had to predict, but yeah, um, a lot of young talent on that roster from all the high draft picks they've had over the past four years and looking forward to see how they pan out down the stretch. Yeah, no, I, I think I texted you so that Rushman Homer said, Man, Adley getting Adley getting served early this year, man. He's uh clobbered that ball. Um great day obviously and um definitely a guy that's a dark horse. I, I thought about picking him for the if the Amer- for the American League MVP if I wanted to get real spicy, but decided to keep it a little mellow there. Um but definitely a guy who could win it, uh, especially if that team uh, does make the playoffs, makes a little bit of a run. So um but yeah, that kind of wrapped it up today. Um we're gonna have a mock draft Monday three coming at you guys, a little bit of a twist, we're gonna switch it up. Have some trades, which we're picking. Um, Brett's going to pick uh, odds. I'm going to pick evens this time, switch it up. Um, should be good. I'm looking forward to it. We'll add a second round. I'll do it the week after. Um, but, yeah, Mock Draft Monday coming at you guys. Uh, it'll post Monday morning when we record it. I'm not really – probably Saturday, Sunday, one of those two days. Get it posted Monday morning. Um, but, yeah, I'll let you kind of final thoughts. And we'll get out of here. Yeah, for sure. Already uh, Mock Draft Monday 3.0 in Crazy. a few days. Um, you know, halfway done with those. Then the following Friday, you know, a week from tomorrow um, or a week from today, if you're listening to the episode on Friday, we're going to have episode 45. We're going to 
give a recap, kind of close out the college basketball season. And we're going to start talking about college baseball. Um, you know, college baseball has garnered more attention this year than I think probably in a long time. And yeah. I'm excited to talk about it, kind of see how things go. Um, throwing a little stuff about Texas Tech, though, and give our master's, or, yeah, master's predictions. So um, probably another good episode coming next week, episode 45, um, on probably April 7th or 8th. And we will see you all on Monday for Mock Draft 3.0. See you guys soon.